What's up, everybody? This is Dr. O with another episode of The Finance Doctor. And today, I'm here to talk to you about what you should teach your kids about money that your parents did not teach you. So, whenever I go to talk to young people about what it means to be wealthy, what it means, what the perception of a rich person is, and what money is to them, I always like to start off with a visual. So, I'm going to try to paint a picture in your mind since you can't see me. I'm going to paint you a picture. The first picture I like to show them is my favorite car, my dream car, what I plan to own one day, own it outright, yes, um, is a Lamborghini Diablo, red, candy red Lamborghini Diablo. And I usually pull that up on the screen and I say, hey guys, would you perceive this person as rich or do you think they have true wealth? A lot of times the kids can't tell the difference between the two. They're like, yeah, they're rich because that's the only word we've ever heard. Rich, rich, rich. So yes, they're rich to me. So I scroll to the next picture and it's this giant extravagant mansion. These are these are items that are on my dream board, by the way. Giant mansion with an infinity pool in the backyard. And I say, hey guys, do you perceive this person as rich or do you think they have true wealth? A lot of the kids again look at me and say, that person is definitely rich, but now that you've asked me a second time about this person being truly wealthy maybe they're wealthy as well then i pull up another picture three or four gold chains and i say hey do you think this person is perceived as rich if you saw them in public or would you think they are truly wealthy a lot of times by now this is picture number three so by now the kids are saying hey man i think this person might be rich and wealthy since he keeps asking us the same question I'm going to go with rich and wealthy. So I say, okay, there's no right or wrong answers here, kids. But what I'm going to teach you right now is the difference between the perception of being rich and the reality of true wealth. So there are several points that I like to go through, several compar- comparisons excuse me, and contrast between what the perception of a rich person is versus the reality of true wealth. So number one, a person that's perceived as rich from the outside, they might be living in a million dollar home. Without going into a lot of details there, they could also have a million dollar mortgage on their property, so they don't really own it outright. So that kind of counts against their net worth, which we'll talk about in a later episode. Now, conversely, when you're looking at the reality of a person being wealthy, they will probably have several income producing properties. So to put things into perspective, the perception of the rich person living in a million dollar home versus the reality of a wealthy person that actually has a million dollars in income producing properties. The second point, a person that's perceived as rich might drive a a, a nice Lamborghini, my dream car. However, it could be leased. They don't own it. They can't say that at the end of the day, this is my car because they don't own it. The dealership owns it versus a truly wealthy person or the reality of a wealthy person driving a car that most of us would be like, I don't want to drive that. They might drive a Toyota Camry. Now, Toyota's doing a good job now of making their cars look like luxury vehicles. So, I, I mean, I don't fault them. My first car was a Toyota Camry and I have no shame in that. The third point is that the perception of a rich person, they might have a a six-figure checking account because they don't know any better yet versus the reality of a wealthy person with a six-figure brokerage and retirement accounts. 
When I say brokerage, that means they're trading stocks, bonds, things on the open market. So the fourth point, when we're looking at the perception of a rich person versus being truly wealthy, the perceived rich person is planning vacations and saying, hey, we're going to take off work and go X, Y, Z. We're going to go to the Bahamas, Hawaii, etc. While the wealthy person or the reality of the wealthy person, they're living on vacation. They don't have to go to work because they have accumulated enough wealth to cover their bills. The perception of a rich person is that they work for money. A rich person or a person that's perceived as rich is working for money. They're going to a nine to five. And again, this is not at all to bash people that are making good money because I love it. I love the hustle. So if you're making good money, I am not by any means faulting you or bashing you. But what I want to talk about is how we perceive rich versus true wealth. So how we're perceiving a rich person is that they have they're going to work for money. They have employer income with an ER on the end. Whereas a person that's truly wealthy, the money does all the work. They don't have to be there. They have passive income. So what that tells me is that this person has accumulated enough assets. They've accumulated things like rental properties, accounts that are that are able to pay their bills for them where they don't necessarily have to go sit in an office and work a nine to five. For the person that we perceive as rich, money is everything. As opposed to a truly wealthy person, money is objective to them. And when true wealth is realized and when true wealth is achieved, a wealthy person, a truly wealthy person is not concerned with how much money is made. They're concerned with how much money is kept. How much money is kept not only by them, but by future generations. So they're creating generational wealth. You don't hear people saying, I'm creating generational riches. They're saying, no, I'm creating generational wealth so that my kids are wealthy, my kids' kids are wealthy, my, gra- my great-grands are wealthy, everybody in my family is wealthy, and we're blessed because we have accumulated wealth enough to the point where we don't have to go to work. We go to work because we enjoy our jobs, but we don't have to be there uh, to work that 9 to 5 and to get employer income. So I like to take a step back after that because usually the kids are like, oh, wow. I never knew there was a difference between the two. Some of them in the room, you know, I usually take a poll. About 40% of them have never heard the word wealth or wealthy. So they're like, well, that's a new term to me. That's pretty cool. The other 60% is like, wow, I thought rich and wealthy were the same thing. So I, I rewind all the way to the beginning. And I say, okay, kids, let's look at what is money. Because a lot of us, you know, we, we associate money with an actual physical you know, dollar bill, a quarter, a a silver dollar, whatever. But what is money? What truly is the definition of money? So usually money is anything that is accepted as a medium of exchange. Um, I really like the second definition of money that I found and that I love to use. It's a measure of value. You know, a lot of us put our value in the dollar. We say, well, I got a certain amount of money, so I'm better than these other people, unfortunately. Um, but by our definition, the, it's a measure of value. How much can you afford to buy? How much can you afford to have when you have money? And I always tell people this money does make the world go round. You know, we like to say, oh, money isn't everything. Yeah, but try living without it. 
you're not going to get very far if you don't have any money to spend. You're not going to get very far if you, you know, you don't have a lot of disposable income. You don't have, you're not able to buy the necessities of life. So for those people, I say, eh, okay, I get what you're trying to say, but money does make the world go around and you do need it. You have to have it. So how did money start? You know, I like to take things back to the, the most rudimentary, the most elementary um, forms when I talk about things such as money. So it started with the barter system. Let's say you and I are sitting down and, and before money even came around and we're sitting on the farm and you're the next door neighbor and you got a farm too. And I say, hey, man, I'll give you two eggs for, you know, a Salisbury steak. I want some I want some ground beef. And you say, no, nah, that ground beef is going to cost you three eggs. That's how the barter system got started, simply by people saying, well, let me apply a value to what I have to offer to people. Let me apply a value. If, if they want this ground beef, um, they got to give me three or four eggs because this ground beef is super valuable to me. Um, on the other end, the person that has the eggs might say, well, my eggs are super valuable. So now we get into a negotiation. That is how the barter system came about, and that is how money came about, because now you've applied a value, like our other definition, you've applied a value to that money. You said, hey, this money is worth a lot to me, so I'm going to hold on to it, or this money is nothing to me, so I'm going to spend it all. But you've applied some form of value to what you consider money, what you consider a medium of exchange. So, moving into managing money the first the biggest thing and the biggest um argument that i get into when i'm dealing with clients is creating a budget a lot of them say i don't want to do that i don't want to see any of that i don't want to talk about it i don't want to feel like i don't have any money and i say okay are you done so let's talk about budgeting since you, you know you you don't want to look at it we're going to talk about it anyway so Budgeting, by definition, is knowing where your money is going and not wondering where it went. Um, it's it's It blows my mind how many times I'll sit down and I'll have a conversation with people and they say, oh, man, I don't I don't I don't need the budget. And I say, OK, well, I'll challenge you. I'll give you a challenge. And I want to challenge everybody that's listening to this as well. I'll challenge you. You know, let me look at your budget and I'll tell you if you need a budget or not. And the answer 100 time 100 percent of the time is going to be yes. Yes, you do need a budget because I can guarantee you I'll find some money that you didn't even know was there. It happens 10 times out of 10. I'll sit down with them and they'll say, oh, number one, I didn't realize I was spending $100 a week at McDonald's. It sounds ridiculous, but I've heard it. I've heard people literally say, I didn't realize I was spending that much in fast food every day. I'm eating out every day and wondering why I'm gaining weight. Now I kind of understand I've killed two birds with one stone because now I understand, hey, I've, I've been eating out every day. I should probably fix that habit. Oh, and while I'm at it, I'm fixing my budgeting problem as well. I'm learning how to make sure that I know where every penny that I make, I know where it's being spent. I can tell you when I get paid, it doesn't matter if it's $40, $5, a dollar. I budget every penny of it. I can tell you where every penny of it went. And that's what I tell kids all the way from as, as long as they can understand it. I tell them that from the beginning all the way until they can't understand it anymore. Yes, you need to know where it's going. It doesn't matter how much money you're given. You have to take control of that money and not let it take control of you. Because if I'm stressed about money, if I'm worried about money, 
I can't sleep at night. And that goes for children as well, you know. They shouldn't have to worry, especially if they're still living in your roof. They shouldn't have to worry about, okay, where's my next meal coming from? They shouldn't have to worry about, okay, I got to go get a job as soon as I hit legal age to help out at home. Yes, that's great. That's teaching them good work ethic. But at the same time, it's not teaching them how to budget, how to take care of their money, because now all they know is, hey, I go to work every day, I work the rest of my life, and I spend the money that I make, and that's all I know. I don't know anything about saving, investing, none of that. All I know is work, 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 spend, spend, spend. So having that budget allows you the opportunity to understand where your money is going and not wondering where it has gone when you don't have any. So before spending that money, and I tell my son this all the time because he gets an allowance, he gets money from other people. I, I don't know. He's just a natural hustler, I guess. I don't, I don't know where he gets money from. He just comes home with cash. And, you know, it kind of concerns me at times, but I'm like, ah, he's eight. He's not doing anything out of the ordinary. So before spending money, and I tell him this too, ask yourself three questions. Can I afford it? If the answer is no, then you probably don't need it. Do I need it? Which is your second question. And how will this purchase affect me? If I say to myself today, hey, I got $500 in the bank and I want to go buy a $20,000 car. Can I afford it? Absolutely not. Do I need it? No, my car is still working. How will this purchase affect me? Uh, Well, now I'm in debt. I'm in $20,000 plus interest in debt because I just said that I wanted to go spend money because... All my friends are driving new cars. I need a new car. When in actuality, I did not need it. I cannot afford it. And it's affecting me negatively because now I'm in debt and going to have to pay way more than what the car is worth by the end of the life of that loan. So the easiest way to start teaching children about budgeting is to tell them, let's separate your budget into three jars. Those three jars are your give or giving. Your charitable contributions, whether, you know, I, I know I have some listeners that go to church and they believe in tithing, but I also have some that don't. And that's OK, too. To me, giving of your tenth or giving your tithes is also giving to charities, giving to something you're passionate about, helping people in need. That, to me, goes a lot further than, OK, well, I've been told to give 10 percent in church, so I'm just going to give 10 percent in church, you know, without thinking about it, without thinking about who I'm actually helping as opposed to going out there and actually helping somebody. So there's your giving jar. Then you have saving and then you have your spending. So I always tell my son this every time I say, all right, you got a $20 bill. Somebody gave you $20. Cool. Let's sit down and talk through it. And now to him, it's kind of automatic where he just knows to do it. And he tells other people, which I'll get to that in a minute. But I always tell him, okay, you got $20. Let's see. Let's split that three ways because that's the easiest way to teach him. He's eight. So I say, let's split it three ways. The first thing you got to do is you got to take out money to save. So we're going to split it in half immediately, $10. The next thing, now you have $10 left. The next thing we're going to do, we're going to split that $10. And if you want to go buy a new toy, then you have to buy your friend a new toy as well. So now he understands, hey, I need to take some money to the bank. And, you know, he does have a bank account and I show him every now and again, hey, this is your account. Um, this is where your money is going. No, the bank is not stealing from you. Understand that your money is safe. It is in the bank. Nobody's going to bother. it. It's much safer than if it was sitting in our house. 
So he understands that, hey, I need to save my money so I can buy the things that I want so that I can go to college so that I can buy a car when I get older so I can buy a house and have the, this money saved up for 18, 19, 20 years when I get out of the house and can live on my own. He also understands the value of giving to someone else. If you want a toy, Mr. Ethan, you got to give somebody else a toy of equal um, of equal value to yours. So nine times out of ten, he's going to go buy two of the same thing. He's going to go to the store and say, oh, I want a Beyblade, so I'm going to buy Evan a Beyblade. I'm going to buy one of my classmates a Beyblade because I know that's what I want, and I understand that what I get, my friends have to have something of equal value so that now he understands to give, he understands how to save, and he also understands how to spend. So let's break that down a little bit further. Let's take that three jars and split it into five. So the five jar system, and I did this growing up, and it's worked for me because it taught me discipline, and it also made me very aware of where my money is going and not so tight-fisted when it came to my money because I understood just because I'm going and doing a budget down to zero doesn't mean I have zero dollars in the bank or doesn't mean I have zero dollars to spend. So breaking it down to five jars, you have your giving, you have your house tax. Yes, my parents charged us tax to be in their home. But, you know, initially I said, why are we paying, wait a minute, taxes? What is this nonsense, you know? But now that I'm an adult, I see what taxes are. But at the same time, what they taught us was, hey, whenever we're going to do things as a family, whenever we're going to go out to eat, that's where the house tax money is going to. We have a pool of money that we're going to take and we're going to go out to eat. We're going to go as a family and sit down and eat. And that's where your tax dollars are going. I wish the government did us like that and told us, hey, we're going to treat you to dinner on your tax dollars. No, they take it and then make you work to get just a little small portion of it back. But anyway, I digress. Then the third bucket or jar, we call it the short term. So that was usually for if we wanted to go out and buy, let's say, a piece of candy, something small, a small purchase. You know, we had some small change, some pocket change, as they call it, or money, walking around money is what we would consider the short term bucket or short term jar. Um, the fourth would be your medium term. That's something that you're saving up for that's a little bit larger of a purchase. Let's say, and I'm going to date myself here, let's say I wanted a super soaker water gun. I don't even know if they still make those, but it was popular when I was a kid. And, you know, it costs a little bit more money than your regular $2 water gun. So that could be my medium term goal. It also teaches children to make goals and to plan accordingly. So if I want to get a super soaker that's going to cost me 20 bucks and I'm only getting a $20 allowance every two weeks um, and I got to split it five ways, that's going to help me to budget better and to be able to say, OK, I'm going to save up my little money until I can get enough to afford that super soaker and guess what i'm gonna take much better care of it because i spent my own money on it rather than my parents just gave it to me as a gift i'm gonna probably tear it up and or lose it or give it to a friend to borrow and never see it again now i can appreciate the value of my money i can appreciate the value of saving that money and now you know beam with pride when i get to go to the store and buy my super soaker water gun or the kids play with these beyblades now so you know i'll take Ethan or take my son to the store to get whatever he wants and he's beaming with pride because he says oh this is my money I saved this up I did that you know I was getting money I saved it and he's he's a talker too so he will tell the cashier yes I saved this money you know I've been saving it over the last month two months and now I'm here to buy my Beyblade and this is all me all my money and then the last bucket or the last jar number five will be your long term 
you know, if you want a car in 10 years, save up money to be able to buy that dream car of yours. Now, not saying that on an allowance of, you know, $100 every two weeks, you, you might have enough to buy a Lambo when you're in college. Is it is it smart? Probably not, because you're going to probably get a lot of tickets or, or wreck it, you know, because you're young and, and, and not really able to appreciate something of that value. However, you know, you'll be able to afford a, an economic car, something that you need to get back and forth to be able to get to your job, to be able to get to class, to be able to take your girlfriend out on a date. You'll be able to afford those those things because you saved up for it. And I say start as early as possible. Like I say, my son's eight. He has 10 years. Really, he's been I've had him in an account since he was little. So he's got 18 years of daddy giving him money and helping to teach him how to save money and put it back and to budget. So he's got 18 years of that where he can get those habits down. He can save up his money and he can be able to buy what he wants when he gets out of my house. So I saw a quote one day um, and I, I wish I knew where I saw it and I wish I can give this person credit. But it said, no matter how much money you have, no matter how much money you earn, win, or inherit, you need to know how to spend it, how to save it, and how to give to others in need. And that really stuck with me because I said, you know, it's a lot of people, and I know people that won the lottery. I know people that got these extravagant, like really large settlements you know, under unfortunate circumstances, but they've got large settlements and blew it all because they didn't know how to save. They didn't know how to spend correctly and they didn't know how to invest or give to other people in need. So I wish I could tell you who told me that or who who posted that quote, but it was a quote that stuck with me and I will take it everywhere with me because it doesn't matter how much money you make, how much money you have. If you don't know how to spend it, if you don't know how to save it properly, if you don't know how to give to others, you will lose it. Trust me, you will lose it. You will not have it. It might be fun while you do, but you will not have it very long. Trust me. So when we're talking about saving, you know, we have to teach kids that the bank is not this big, scary monster. There's a reason that they make a piggy bank. It's cute. It's cute. Kids are not afraid of it. They're not going to run from it. They're not going to scream when they see it. They're going to be like, oh, this is a cute little piggy. I'm putting my money in there. My money's safe. We have to show them that the bank is the same way. It's not this big, scary place. It's a financial institution. It, they accept deposits. You make withdrawals. Nothing more, nothing less. It's not this scary thing that is untouchable and only rich people can go in there. No, anybody can go open a bank account as long as you got a social. And a lot of times you can have a, 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 you know, an alternate ID where you can still open that bank account. Some type of identifying number that can identify you, you can open up that bank account. So within the bank account, you do have savings accounts. And we won't get into money markets this episode, but you have savings account. And the savings accounts are just a place where your money is kept so that it can grow. How does it grow? Oh, I'm so glad you guys asked that. You guys ask wonderful questions. It grows by a little term called interest. A lot of times, compound interest, which means your dollar today is not going to be worth a dollar tomorrow. It's going to be worth more. And as your dollar tomorrow, let's say if it's 10%, that's 10 cents on that dollar. Now, you're going to gain interest on $1.10. The next day, you're going to gain interest on that next interest that's been paid on there. So now you're gaining interest on top of your interest. And that's what makes savings accounts and compound interest so intriguing. 
but also so intimidating because a lot of people don't understand how that snowball effect takes form. It's a big snowball as you're gaining interest, as you you literally can watch it. It's, it's like watching, you know, being at the aquarium, being able to watch all the animals swim around. You can literally put your dollar there and watch it grow. Now, I'm not saying just invest a dollar, just go put a dollar in the savings account. But if that's all you have to start with, you got to start somewhere. You can't just sit around and say, well, I don't have the money. I don't have this. I don't have that. You have to start somewhere or you're never going to start. You're going to look up and you're going to be 25, 26, 45, 65 and still making the same excuses and saying, man, I should have opened up that savings account. I only had a dollar, but I should have opened that savings account a long time ago. So as early as possible, as early as you can, open up those checking and savings accounts for your kids. Make sure they have an investment account. Make sure they have these accounts open so they have something when they get older. When they're grown, you have something to give to them, something of value. You know, I think it's it's quite selfish that if we, you know, when we don't do that. I think it's selfish of us to say, oh, this is all my money and I'll, you know, you're living rent free. So I'm going to keep all that. No, we need to set them up and, and build those habits, help them to form those habits that will that will transition them into adulthood that will transition them into effective adulthood and help them to be adults that can turn around and teach this same these same financial principles to their kids and their kids kids and their kids friends and anybody else who they come in contact with so the next thing i like to teach about children is allow them to turn their creativity into cash flow a lot of times we'll see them doing a little quirky stuff around the house. And rather than us thinking, hey, this could be a good business idea for them because it's something they enjoy doing. We say, oh, man, that's stupid. Oh, man, that's, you're getting on my nerves. That's annoying. That's silly. That's just a little kid thing. But there are kids and there are parents that will definitely capitalize on that. They'll see it and be like, oh, that's a good idea. Just like these Beyblades that they like to play with. Who would have thought that a spinning top and turn it into a battle would have been you know such a lucrative idea who would have thunk it who would have thought it probably nobody back then when they were creating spinning tops however someone saw an idea someone probably and i can almost guarantee with some kids sitting down playing with some spinning tops they started hitting up against each other and they said wow that's a good idea maybe we should start selling actual spinning tops that do battle you know so allow them you know help them to to grow that creativity if they're drawing pictures, encourage them. Say, that's a beautiful picture. Now, how do you turn it into a, a business idea? How do you make money off that? Because if you like money and you're creative, think about ways you can turn that creativity into business ideas. The, the, the old adage about the lemonade stand stands true today. You know, there was a person that said, oh, man, it's 100 degrees outside. Maybe I like lemonade. Maybe everybody that's running by here, all the kids in the neighborhood that's out here playing, Maybe they want a cold drink, so they guess what? They set up a lemonade stand, and they post it up right there in the middle of everybody playing and handed out cold lemonade. Even if they're selling it for a quarter, you think about kids coming back every every time you come back for a refill. Hey, that's another quarter. You're making a killing on the summer, you know, throughout the summer. You're at home every day. Everybody's outside playing and sweating. So at this point, you're making a killing. So allow them to turn that creativity into cash flow. Show them how to do it. Even if it's something as small as, hey, um, I see that everybody in the neighborhood, they don't like to take their trash cans out to the road on a Friday. So I'm going to go down door by door 
early on a Friday morning and put their trash cans out by the road and they're going to pay me a dollar. That's creative. That's going out there and turning that creativity into cash flow. Doesn't mean they're a dumpster guy or they're, they're the trash man. No, it means they're being smart. It means they're capitalizing on people's laziness or the fact that people just don't want to get up on a Friday morning and put their trash cans out. And now they've turned that creativity, that thought process, they're, them being observant, they're turning it into cash flow, cold, hard cash. So there's one graphic that I like to show people, and it, it stands true from adolescence to adulthood to retirement. Turn that allowance, take that allowance, because a lot of kids are getting an allowance now. Some might not, but whatever you want to call it, you're giving them some form of money, hopefully. So take that allowance, go out there, turn it into buying and owning a business, and turn that into passive income. So with my example of the kid that's going down the street to pick up all the trash cans and put them out by the road early Friday morning, guess what? Now he's taking his allowance or he's taking that money that he's gotten. So he's already in the buying and owning a business phase. He's going to take that money that he has and he might go knock on the next door and say, hey man, I'm tired of getting up on a Friday morning. You want to work for me? I'll let you keep a certain percentage, but you know, you still got to pay me. You still got to pay the piper. So now he has passive income. He doesn't have to get up on a Friday morning. He could be in the bed and he gets a knock at the door at 630. Hey, buddy, I took out all the trash cans. Here's your cut. I took my cut. Have a good day. That's passive income. It's literally as simple as that. It's that simple. Learning, finding a business idea, find, using your creativity to create a business, using that business to create some passive income where you can be in bed and still make money. Just like in our example. And... One thing that you have to realize is it's never, 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 ever, ever too early. It is never too early to start. When you find out you're pregnant, open up a bank account. Tell them, hey, I'm expecting a kid. This is my custodial account. I'm going to put a little money to the side because they won't let you open it without a social. So I stand corrected. Put a little money to the side and say, hey, this is the money when this child gets here and gets a social, gets a birth certificate. We're opening up this account so they can have some money in the bank and we can start a good habit of putting money to the side for them. Show them those habits. Take them to the bank with you. Let them see that their money's going into the bank and talk to them while you're standing in that extremely long line of people with every need possible. When you're standing there waiting to get to the teller, let them know, hey, this is what your money's doing. This is what interest is. And this is how you're going to make money in the future because we're starting now. We're planting a seed and we're going to fertilize it over the next 18 years until you're an adult. It's never too early to tell them that. You know, children understand what we're saying and you just keep telling them. You keep programming them, telling them, hey, this is what's going on. This is why it matters. And eventually they're going to start telling their friends and their friends are going to go tell their friends. And somebody's going to tell their parents until you have a, a domino effect now of everybody is learning how these things work. Everybody's learning about money. Everybody's learning how to make money, how to keep money and how to make and, and create generational wealth. So. Now that I'm coming to a close, I want you to get your pen and paper out or stylus on your smartphone. I'm, I'm kind of old school, so I still write on the pen and paper. So get out your pen and paper and get ready to take some notes. Just some key points that I want you to take away from this talk today. So what can you tell your kids about money? Number one, you can teach them what money is. As we talked about, it's a, 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 a medium of exchange and it's something of value. So teach them what money is and how valuable it is to you, 
how figure out how valuable it is to them as well because they might think ah daddy's been making money so it's not valuable to me at which time you need to reprogram them and teach them hey yeah it is valuable because this is my money uh, yeah i'm giving it to you now but eventually you're gonna have to fly on your own so teach them about number two teach them about the time value of money teach them that the earlier you start the more you'll accumulate Compound interest. Write that down. That's your homework for today is go in and find out what compound interest is and figure out how you can apply it to your life. Number three, go from working for money, your allowance for children, your allowance or whatever you want to call it. Commission as Dave Ramsey calls it. Go from working for money to making money work for you. When you can teach a child that principle, it, it, it gets insane. They're like, whoa, I can do that. So I'll give you one more example. I had, as I stated, I had my son saving his money since forever ago. And the first time I took him to the bank, he threw a fit. He threw his hands up. He was upset with me the rest of the day. You gave all my money to the bank. You gave it away. I, I saved up that money. You gave it away. So I had to, you know, I took that as a teaching moment. You know, usually I get upset like, who are you talking to, boy? But I said, let me take this as a teaching moment. No, the bank didn't take your money. This is where your money went. And this is what's going to happen over time. And I showed him on the app, hey, here's your money working. You see that? This is money. This is a dividend. This is interest that's accumulating on your account. Now your money is growing a lot faster than it would have if you left it in your piggy bank. When I tell you he looked at me like his mind was completely blown, I said, well, yeah. that's he." And he, he just looked puzzled and said, is it really that easy? Yes, it's that easy. So what I did was I took his money from his allowance um, really, it was my money, but I told him it was his money that I took from his allowance, and I went and bought him a candy machine. So now he's a business owner. He has a candy machine or vending business that he doesn't even have to be there. I also took that opportunity to say, hey, you don't even need to, like, you can make money whether you're awake, whether you're there, whether you're out of town. Your vending machine business will make money for you at this point, which you'll go in there, take your money out, you'll budget it. Put some in the bank and the cycle continues. The good cycle is going to continue because now you've turned your allowance into that money making more money for you. Number four, start early. Start as early as possible. Don't wait till they're, oh, I'm going to wait till they're 10. No, because then 10 is never going to come. You're going to say that up until they're 18, 19. Like, oh, shoot, I should have done that when they were, you know, maybe five or six. Or when they were born, I should have opened them an account. And by then, it's too late. They're out of your house. They're adults. Now, they can do it themselves. But if you have taught them those principles and started it early for them, they have something to look forward to. I saw this saying the other day, and I loved it so much. And I said, oh, I definitely have to put this into my talk for this week. Perfect parenting is not possible. Because I know a lot of you are, are listening to this and like, crap, man, I, I'm failing as a parent because I haven't done these small things. No, perfect parenting is not at all possible. However, smart parenting is, and I'll reiterate, it's never, ever too late to start. Just get started, whether it's $100, whether it's $50, $10, $20. A lot, a lot of accounts require you know, a minimum of 100 but some don't. Whether it's 10 bucks, start somewhere and start as early as possible because, again, perfect parenting is not possible, but smart parenting is. You can be smart. You can be intelligent and figure out ways to catch up, figure out ways to make your kids or to get your kids to understand the value of money and how it can work for them. 
That's it for this episode of The Finance Doctor with Dr. O, only on the Too Smart Network. If you want to catch me, you can find me on Instagram at Dr. Clement O, that's D-R-C-L-E-M-E-N-T-O. Until next time, folks, peace out.